Welcome back to Baytown Engage. I'm excited today. I have a wonderful guest, Baytonian, Dr. <laughs> Victoria Marone, um, Executive Director of Retention and Transition Services at Lee College, was a grant director as well. And also, you were the gang in- intervention counselor years ago for the former mayor of Houston, Bill White. Welcome to the yeah. Baytown Engage podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I so didn't much give you me. any justice at all in your introduction. <laughs> so please tell everyone who you are and what you do. No, it's all good. Yeah, so I currently work and have worked worked at Lee College now for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. I did start there as a retention specialist under a STEM grant and just over the eight years I've evolved into different positions and so now it is executive director retention transition services. It's really long. Um, which basically just means I oversee a lot of different grants that help support students and keeping them retained in school but also supporting faculty with just various professional development, equipment in their classrooms. It's a lot of different initiatives. Looking at how we're addressing equity and racism at the college is definitely something that I'm part of as many others of our employees at the college. Before that, just had more of a history professionally and social work, criminal justice. So I had worked for communities and schools Baytown for four years before arriving at Lee College, which I'm now a board member of. I love the work that communities and schools does, and I think often it's not enough attention to really drawn to those caseworkers and, and the things that they do. Welcome again. Thanks. Would you say based on a little bit of research and how your upbringing, what you went through as a youth, I, I don't like to say troubled, maybe misunderstood, just going through life. Is that why you take in this direction with making youth and equality amongst races one of your major priorities? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think I really quite realized it when I was so young that I was already doing the work right before even graduating high school. But I was always curious as to why do people do what they do? Right. And why do people treat people the, the way, way that do. they do? Right. Because I never, I mean, I grew up in Section 8 housing all over Baytown. And, you know, my grandmother raised me. So my father's from Mexico. My, my mom's white. My white grandmother raised me until I was five. And my godmother and sisters raised me. So I didn't really even speak good English, <laughs> you know. So I just, I didn't understand color until I moved to a different middle school and where I was treated very differently. And you have to ask yourself, it's just, you know, I'm the new kid, but it was different. It's a different feeling. It's, it's a not just very different new, feeling. It's a different type of learned yeah. behavior. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I guess what you would now call bullying and I realize it's bullying then, but even then it was your trash or feelings of like disgust when they looked at you or wouldn't even speak to you. Then you started to kind of put two and two things together. And lady, later by my eighth grade year, I literally had a couple of of classmates tell me why they treated me the way they did. And there's layers to it. I think many of us think if someone's never experienced racial discrimination or being totally disliked because of the color of your skin, their thing is economic. And it can be because you don't live in the same area, you may not dress the same, and people pick on you physically. But then when it gets to the the point of what you look like, not your clothes, but your color of your skin, how your hair looks, it's a different feeling. You can can buy new clothes, you can borrow some things, but you can't change that. And you realize, why is it that you're treating me this way because of the way I look? It's a different feeling. It is very different feeling and I used to have that same kind of mindset oh it's it's a socioeconomic issue it's not really a race issue and then more and more that I would read or learn or just experience life I'm like no it's a race issue (laughs) it is it's definitely a multi-layer it's a it's a learned behavior of hatred Absolutely. I really feel that maybe the kids now, it may be an economic thing, but I feel in my generation and older, it was a definite racial mm-hmm. barrier, a racial, and also where you come from. Mm-hmm. 
they break it down into the color of your skin, then where you come from, are you from the Caribbean, are you from Mexico, how you sound, how mm-hmm. you speak, how you say things. And it really separates you and it mm-hmm. really makes you question or either rise against it or dislike where you come from mm-hmm. or how you look. Mm-hmm. How do we even battle that? How do we even fight against that? Right. And so I think my daughter is 22. She'll be 23 this year. So I was young when I had my daughter. And my son is 18, just graduated high school. And their father is Hispanic, but my son has red hair. He's lighter complected. And my daughter has dark hair and she's darker complected. Mm -hmm. And just some facial features, I think, tend to make people always want to ask them, what are you? Don't you hate that? (laughs) What? 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 What are you? (laughs) I'm a human being. Yeah, I'm a human. I don't know. What are you? You know, for them, they've always been puzzled by that too. Like, what do you mean? What? What am I? And when they went moves again, moving schools, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we're so encapsulated in this little community or this little house or this little school or this whatever it is, and you don't have exposure. So for me, like growing up, my grandmother sent me to California every summer. And that in and of itself made me look at the world very differently, right? So if I wasn't in a summer camp at the YMCA, then I was, you know, going to California and staying with my uncle who was in the Marines. And that just created a whole other world for me to know that there is so much more out there. Because other than that, when I lived here, well, we still had the Washburn Tunnel. Or if we were going to leave Baytown to go into the Houston area, it was typically to go to the jail Mm. to visit somebody. Or we were leaving Baytown to go into some other East Texas prison to visit somebody. There was no camping or weekend vacations or bike rides to the park. So your favorite reference was totally different. Totally different. Totally different. So, and I really feel that travel and exposure is really important because you have to show children everything because you can leave them in the home and say, we don't see color. But if you don't explain to them that everyone doesn't think that way, and there we do have differences, there are variations, it shelters you. Mm-hmm. And it makes you very naive to the, to the world. Well, then you take what and kind of where I was going with that is you take your experiences and your beliefs just based off what is in that little space and that little bubble, you know, that you reside in. So whether it's your parents that are spewing their political and racial right. views, you know, every day in, in that house or in that space, or it's in your classroom where what type of instruction are you getting? You know, I last night wrote a letter to the Goose Creek board members uh, about my views and just asking to think deeper and let's have more dialogue about the names of some of our schools, right. like Robert E. Lee, Asheville Smith, and Ross S. Sterling. And admittedly, I said, you know, when I was in school, I wasn't questioning what the name of my school meant or who was this person. I didn't go into the library and research these things mm-hmm. because I was taught by my elders that these are important people in history that did great things. Yeah, and you didn't. We didn't question. No, we just took the and you definitely. And did not question my household. <laughs> you, you don't question. <laughs> my no. grandmother was from Gulfport, Mississippi. <laughs> no, you yeah. don't question. You, don't you question do it. You do as I say. You just go with it. You, yeah. And that's a sad mentality that a lot of us, no matter your ethnic background, we instilled in a lot of our kids. Just listen. Just go. Mm-hmm. You don't question. You don't question. And when you question, you're being defiant. And mm-hmm. it's, it gets suppressed. And I wonder how many people lost their voice because they couldn't express themselves. Luckily, I was raised in a household where you was allowed to question things. And you better research. You better ask questions because yeah. we want some. You want to yeah. present a case. Yeah. And that's exactly <laughs> you the need way. to have the details. Yeah. And I'm like that now with my kids because I yeah. hated that. I hated my mind always felt so curious of wanting to know. But why? But why does this person keep going to jail? Why do we keep visiting them? Why do you keep 
staying with this abusive man. I just don't understand. But you weren't allowed. So you were very stifled, you know. So with my kids, I've always encouraged them to research. And especially if they want to ask for something, it's always been like, tell me why you need it. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important Mm -hmm. to you? Other than the cost, other than your friend might have it. Yeah. Give me your best argument. You, you better know? come up with a good argument. Yeah. And even now with so much on social media and the things that they're seeing, you know, I tell them, don't reply to anybody on Twitter. Don't reply. I don't care what you see our president doing. I don't care what you see other people doing. But unless you have the data and the source, and for me finishing my doctorate, right, we're all about sources. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't have a source to back up, yeah. don't say it. And they've done it. You know, they back up. My son recently showed me this this chart that he rebutted back on a student that was trying to say that there were more white deaths than there were black deaths. And he broke, yeah, the whole equation <laughs> mathematics. He was like, Mom, my dual crazy. credit statistics class really paid off because I just had to break it down for him to understand. Uh, no, this isn't true. <laughs> and I think it goes into like living here and the divides that we have. A lot of it has to do with just not even thinking on your own. Yes. And not looking into what is right and wrong. Right. What's really going on. Just because you were taught that in your home mm-hmm. or taught that in school at the time doesn't mean there isn't more yeah. to it. Right. And a lot of that has to come from just being quite, we're a real quiet society in Baytown. We oh, tend yes. to be real, not passive. But it seems patient, but I think we've been so suppressed on our views and s- afraid to say anything because very few of us are really heard. Mm-hmm. Have you felt or that? Or even had the opportunity of being heard. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, when we look back at the history, you know, from the 1900s of Baytown even being established, you know, if you're going to bring people here from Mexico, anywhere else, and then say that they can't go to school here they have to only go to school there they can't go past this railroad track they can't do this then generation after generation i mean when you think you live on an island where you literally call your you know within your five mile block la isla because you think you're literally on an island because you came in by boat and you're here you're surrounded by water then that's a problem, right? So then generation after generation, when you're not allowed to then integrate schools, you get of a certain age and you start to think, well, after sixth grade, what am I supposed to do, right? Or I go to the military or so then you're taking a father from the home or, you know, all these various things. And so growing up, I did feel that way. And I could never really put my finger on if it was just because of being poor, because I think that's what I carried with me the longest. Mm -hmm. There wasn't talk in the house about voting you know it was right. survival right it was like you need to get a job we're gonna keep this water on and that's how a lot of people who are economically impoverished they're poor they're not thinking about that thinking of how am i going to eat how am i going to pay these utilities right and all the mouths we have to feed who's going to be able to work and mm-hmm. handle and do these things mm-hmm. no one's thinking about like you said, it's not talked about it's like we can't worry about that forget I mean, about your feelings yeah suck it up yeah we have to we have to survive it's survival yeah exactly and once you get out get out yeah don't come back yeah that's a lot of it how a lot of people get here and they leave and they do not mm-hmm. come back absolutely they don't there's nothing they, there's nothing here for us mm-hmm. when they just don't feel like they belong absolutely you know that's one thing i'd like to know so much of people who have been you know whether or people in the 90s that i went to school with and then moved on and accomplished great things and a lot of times they went off to college they met somebody they got married so they established their family wherever mm-hmm. you know that was or the job took them here or took them there but i still always wonder 
But why didn't you stay? What was it that didn't appeal to you to come back? And I wonder about the ones who have stayed. Yeah. Because being away and then coming back, I wonder why people have stayed. Mm -hmm. Because I think going away and coming, going away was so much better and then coming back Mm -hmm. because your mindset has shifted. Mm -hmm. You're not trapped into the mindset of this is all that I have. Right. Well, even now, what's the mentality that's given to seniors that graduate, right? Right. Where are you going to school? Or are you going to school? Well, if I'm not saying that I'm going to a four university, does that mean I'm a lesser person? Because that's what they're thought to think. Mm-hmm. That, oh, you just must have not have been athletic enough for this. You must not have been smart enough for this kind of scholarship. You must have not have had, you know, some negative something as to why you're not going away because that's supposed to be what you're supposed to do, apparently. You know, and I've done so many presentations to different families and schools to tell them community college doesn't make it any less. And I don't say it just because I work there. Right. Or because that's where I started. But when you know the kind of like the logistics behind an English comp course at Lee College is going to be an English comp course at UT Austin. It's yes. going to be an English comp. Yes. This state has a common core. Like, yes. And it's like, would well, you want to pay 30000 a year or do you want to pay less than five? But that goes into the mentality of, well, my child went, my child's going to A&M or UT. Yeah, it's a status. It's a status thing. Yeah. And I feel Absolutely. that some people still feel as if I have to prove that mm-hmm. they can go there. Mm-hmm. No matter what, like you have the grades, we may be poor, but you're going to go this place. I know a lot of people I graduated with who went away and after semester number one were right back in Baytown, Texas. Yeah, you look at our numbers, they're here too. Yeah. You know, they come right back. Very yeah. few leave and stay at those universities and do not come back. Yeah. I think now you have kids who are like, no, I want to go to Lee College for a second or San Jack for a second. Let me get this out the way. Right. It's way too expensive. Right. Let me get some school under my belt, save yeah. some money. But the mentality has always been, I think, as a status thing. Right. To say that my child or I'm going here and it's like. Yeah. And I think students are becoming so much more knowledgeable and, and their critical thinking is definitely, I think, a lot better than what mine was. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> there's just so much. There's so many resources right at their fingertips that they mm-hmm. can just find and Google and research. And um, some of it may not be true, but, you know, some of it is. And so they take that initiative to kind of look those things up and having that dialogue with their friends. There's more opportunity for dual credit classes now. So they kind of get more of that early college credit underneath their belt that has risen so much much. And so I think, you know, there's that too. But, you know, unfortunately, there is so much where people are trying to just keep up with the Joneses, you know, as if that is that status symbol that they, you know, are constantly seeking to achieve. Do you think many haven't gone away because of how they've been treated? So they feel they're not able to leave? You know, I don't know. You know, I know for me, I mean, you overcame a lot. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I I still wonder how sometimes... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I think for me, it was, you know, being a first generation student, like many students of this community, you don't know what you don't know. You know, in my senior year, I was pregnant with my daughter and, you know, my grandmother's like, you got to do, you got to go to college. I mean, you got to do something. something. Well, how am I? Well, there's one right there. Mm -hmm. Go down the street and go figure out. And I remember walking on that Lee College campus and feeling so lost. I have no idea where I'm supposed to go. Who am I supposed to? What am I supposed to ask? Um, And that's the way I look at it every day that I work. Every day that Mm -hmm. I work, I think of those students that are not sure where we take acronyms for granted. We take a lot of the processes for granted Mm -hmm. where we have to keep it at the forefront of our mind that there are students trying to navigate the system now completely online. Right. Forget trying to physically walk onto a campus and into a building and determine what office am I supposed to go to to turn in what. Um, So confusing. 
It's so incredibly confusing. So, but I, I mean, I think there's so much capital though that we have. And I think for me, inspirational capital was definitely one of those things. I didn't want to live on welfare the rest of my life. Yeah, different motivation. I grew up on it. My daughter, when I would go actually just down the street to the clinic to get her immunizations. And you're, I remember thinking, oh, this is like pulling a number like at JCPenney's. There was a red little wheel thing and you'd yeah, pull, you'd pull a, number a number from and it was like, oh, I'm a customer. Okay, this is, doesn't feel right, but okay. <laughs> I'll have a seat here because this is what I've grown up doing is being on welfare, being on Medicaid. And the lady was in such a rush to give my daughter her shots and her thighs that she left the needle sticking out of her leg. Oh. And my daughter's screaming. And I looked down and she was the, so nonchalant, like, oh, and, so, and you know, the yanked it out of her leg. And yeah, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be something better than this. And that's great you thought that way. Yeah. But growing up, having your issues, being rebellious, how did you navigate and how did you feel with the law enforcement in Baytown? Because mm. mm. clearly you dealt with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Clearly you dealt with it and you yeah. and you've come on the other side of it. Yeah. But have you noticed a major shift and change in no. how they are or no. no. You know, and it's so you couldn't pay me enough to be a police officer. It's a hard job. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It absolutely is. The closest I came to it obviously was being a juvenile probation officer. But I worked with so many law enforcement officers for so long. And granted, just like everybody says, there are good ones. Mm -hmm. You know, I have good friends that are, you know, HPD, Baytown PD. I sit on a board with, you know, Chief Doherty. There are good people. You know, but unfortunately, it is the bad. It is the the officers that use their power and their position and intimidation. You know, I've lost some of my students. Oh, Benji wow. on Texas Avenue. He was one of my students, you know, and, you know, there's countless more. But when I was in the probation department and I went through all the, my various trainings, I worked in the courtroom, you see a consistent theme. Yeah. And it's not about black and brown young people committing crime more than whites. That's, that is not it. You know, check the stats, check the numbers, but who's getting represented? So just like the educational system was not built for people of color, right? the legal system wasn't either. And so when I would see juveniles, and one of the hardest ones for me was a young white man who got a molestation conviction, a felony molestation conviction, pleaded down, so not convicted, but charged, pleaded down to a misdemeanor. When I'm seeing black and brown kids going to jail. Wouldn't even have that option. For like taking his mom's car for a joyride, mm -hmm. having a little bit of marijuana on them. I'm not saying it's okay to do these things, right. but, but you're talking but about... the privilege of it was real obvious. Molest molesting a four-year-old mm -hmm. and reading the narrative and the eyewitness accounts of that charge and for him to be sitting across my desk and for me to be responsible for him not having unsupervised contact in his upper middle class Clear Lake neighborhood with anyone younger than 12. Mm. Yeah, that was one of my hardest, yeah. hardest cases. And his mom trying to butter me up all the time with cookies and gift baskets. No, ma'am. Yeah, no. That was the hardest, most, one of the most eye-opening experiences where I saw the clear racial divide and how we provide for, do for, and not do for others. And you would think no matter what, when it comes to certain cases, it shouldn't matter how lawyered up you are. Mm -hmm. 
we're not doing this deal. Mm -hmm. And this is a small, petty crime, and you're going to ruin this person's life forever. Mm -hmm. And now it's going to be stuck with them. They don't have the means to get it expunged. And, and it just really bothers me that one case they had a few years ago with a young man, I want to say he was drunk driving and killed four or five people mm -hmm. and ended up doing no time. I think his dad was, um, it was somewhere in Texas. I'm probably, I'm not saying it right, but he did no time whatsoever. He was drunk driving, had been caught many times, but his dad was part of something in the city and nothing happened to him. And then something else happened, young Hispanic young man, same situation. And I think he's gone for the rest of his life. Yeah. You know, how do we, how do we fix these divides? It shouldn't matter how lawyered up you are. Mm -hmm. Right is right, wrong is wrong. Right. So why is it that this person's getting this ultimate treatment and getting this privilege of a slap on the wrist mm -hmm. when you know they're going to commit the crime again? Yeah. And others who are just may make a simple mistake, being young, being kids, they yeah. can't get a slap on the wrist. They're getting yeah. put away. Mm -hmm. Too many young men and women, mostly young men of color, black, brown, have lost their lives, yeah. lost education behind either lies mm -hmm. or just overly charged. Mm -hmm. And when they realize it, it's it's too late, you know, or they're sitting in jail waiting for the child to come and yeah. the trial hasn't happened yet. And they've lost their they lost their childhood. Mm -hmm. They've lost hope. Yeah. And now they're hardened and like, well, no one's here for me. No one's looking out for me. And I think so many have felt that way here and beyond. Oh, yeah, definitely. So to overcome that, congratulate yeah. you on that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> congratulate you on that. Well, I think it's so much about who's writing the policies, right? Right. Who's writing curriculum? Who's writing policies? Looking at the history of it. We haven't evolved far. <laughs> No. We haven't evolved no. far at all. If we're just getting to a point where you can even teach Mexican-American studies and African-American studies in a high school, barely, <laughs> in 2020. like People were surprised when I told them, I said, y you don't realize that in these history books, there may be a chapter or a section or a paragraph on African-American African or Black history or any other history. And then you have to pay for that class in college. It's mm -hmm. like you have to pay for that. Where we're taught things from elementary on up willingly mm -hmm. and you get a snippet mm -hmm. and it's always, you know, the hero doesn't look like any one of us. Mm -hmm. But we have to pay for those classes to learn that unless yeah. you go on your own, do your own research. Right. They were really surprised. What do you mean? I said, you have to pay for African study classes yeah. in school. Yeah. It's not like you can just not yeah. part of the it's curriculum. Elective. Yeah. You have it's to, not a core. It's no, not a foundational no, thing you really need to know. That. No. I said, we live in Texas where we were not, this is a part of Mexico. Yeah. And it's a, it's a snippet in a textbook. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My undergrad, I read Lies My Teacher Told Me. Mm -hmm. And now there's been new versions of it. And, you know, I've passed it along to so many different people to read this. And mm -hmm. that, that book just blew my mind. It was one of those <laughs> moments that I went, my whole K-12 experience was a lie. <laughs> was a lie. Absolute. <laughs> was, absolute. Like, you couldn't come up with lie. a better title than that. <laughs> absolutely. And again, lie. not on the teacher's fault. Right? They're told what type of curriculum to teach. Mm -hmm. Don't go this far. Don't go far this left. Don't go far this right. Stick to the script. Test, test, test. And if they don't teach stick to, to they get the rebelled test. against. Yeah. yeah. How did you feel when we had our, our actual Black Lives Matter march in, in Baytown? Were you surprised that even it went off without a hitch? Um. I expected it to look a little bit more like some of the other cities where there would be more antagonizers. I was worried. I was worried about that. I thought about it actually just this weekend when I went to Four Corners to get some food to go. And right across the street is a person selling Confederate and, and Trump flags. And, and I just sat there for a minute just kind of looking at it. And I just thought things could have turned out actually so much worse. But I'll be honest with you. I, I don't want to partially put it out there in the space to say this, but 
but I do still fear it will get worse. Oh, I'm with you on that. I, I do still fear that there are many unresolved things that our elected officials are choosing to not discuss, that are not willing to make statements about, and there are cases that are still pending, and let something come out that somebody else isn't charged right, or somebody, another police officer is going to get away with murder. Because that was on June 3rd, we had the Pamela Turner march Mm -hmm. on North Main that went very well. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, June 4th, you had the Black Lives Matter march, and both very intense situations. Pamela Turner, very intense, that's just a year ago. Mm-hmm. this past May and very unresolved mm-hmm. still very raw not forgotten but you wonder because so many things distract us mm-hmm. And with COVID happening, making us have to face things, we're not able to move around. Everyone is home. The news, social media, everyone's talking about everything. So what's new to people is not new to us. It's like, this is is life. (laughs) That person just has a camera now to show show the rest of the world what's really been going on. Now you have to face it. Now you have to talk about it because you can't just turn away. Do you feel, though, that with Black Lives Matter, the racial tension that the voices of other minorities are being lost or do you feel that hopefully with this particular movement especially here everyone will see it's not just black it's brown it's everyone that has been forgotten or pushed aside mm-hmm. I think too many people are caught up in like for example we did the unity parade a couple of Fridays ago and me and my kids went to go take part in it and my daughter is an amazing artist and she went and was drawing all the fists on all the cars and oh can you do my car my car mm-hmm. my car and you know of all attendees, me and my two kids were probably three of maybe five Hispanics there. Maybe there were five, maybe not even five, but maybe five. I'm going to be generous and say five, you know, white people there. My kids, it doesn't matter. But to me, it was like, but where's everybody else? You know, I was doing like this Facebook Live video and I don't typically, you know, do those. And I'm like, where's everybody at? Right. It's a unity parade. It's about all of us. You know, my, my daughter or uh, my son had written Brown Lives black lives mm-hmm. you know and then that got my daughter's creative mind going and she did a really great art piece now I'll, I'll show you after I'm, I'm to keep telling her you need to make stickers t-shirts something this is beautiful right and I think there's so many people and I'll say it I it's this white fragility of then that must mean it's not about us and it's like no 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 you're not getting it yeah, yeah. No, it's not because all lives matter, you know, and it's like, so what are you saying? You feel excluded for some reason? You know, I'm very intentional about like trying to always learn and expand my thoughts. And I just wish other people would embrace just to a 10th percent, just a little to expand their thoughts a little broader. That's hard, though. That is because that requires change and effort and actually giving up. And admitting. Yeah. Admitting that your life has been less difficult Mm -hmm. because of this one thing that Mm -hmm. no one can change yeah yeah. and to say forget or that wasn't me is insulting because I can't walk into a room and not be noticed for one I'm a woman and two I'm a black woman Mm -hmm. and so that's already against me Mm -hmm. one you're a woman one you're a brown woman that's Mm -hmm. already against you Mm -hmm. so the stereotype and the misconception the assumptions are already there yeah for many of us and understandably it may not be your life you may have not been raised a certain way but you have to also accept and acknowledge
acknowledge that there are people who have been deliberately mm-hmm. rejected and suppressed and put down society because right. of the way they look. Right. And it's not economic. Mm-hmm. It's not that. Granted, right now with COVID, we've all felt the pinch of economics. So we can, that's an even playing field. But right. there, there are people in this world who are carrying the trauma and the hurt from the family's history mm-hmm. or just the struggle to get an education. There's many of us who are first generation right. wealth education wherein someone who doesn't look like us have had that for decades and decades and decades. Right. right. The privilege of it. Mm-hmm. That's all people are really asking for. Mm-hmm. Please don't tell us to forget. Yeah. Acknowledge that there's there's deep roots of hatred mm-hmm. in this world. It may not be you, but it may be someone that you know. Right. That looks like you. Right. And have to acknowledge that. Right. Where do you think the police brutality comes from, though? You don't think it's... It, I don't think it's a racial thing. Like you said, I think it's just something different. I definitely think it's a power. It's a power thing. I definitely think it's a power thing. Uh, I worked at Lee High School and there was a police officer that always felt he had to put his authority out there and make it known that, I mean, you're already intimidating as it is. Like you let everybody know you're an ex-Marine. You're like six foot eight. Like you're (laughs) tall. Like, you know, you don't have to put your authority and your chest out there and talk to student they're young people right you know you've already criminalized them before they even done anything mm-hmm. and then if you're willing to say something to me or to other professionals about how you are already projecting like their life oh he's going to be in prison in the next or he's going to th- and she's going to and i was i was just like really you're our law enforcement but to me it totally validated everything i had already seen growing up yeah you know, there was a time that one of my students had a bent down in his back pocket. It wasn't even sticking out. It was just above the top of his mm-hmm. pocket. And I knew why he had it with him that day. It was the anniversary of a friend of his that had been killed. And the mom gave him that bandana. Years ago, when I worked for the mayor's anti-gang office, I had written an article at Baytown Sun because they were talking about gangs in Baytown. And I'm like, this isn't at the time. Like, this isn't what you really need to be more worried about are the prison gangs that are coming into this community. These neighborhood gang things or them it's having certain colors is nothing compared yeah, to what's happening in the city mm-hmm. oh did you mm-hmm. yeah and so when he saw that in his pocket what did he do he went up to him yanked it out of his pocket in the middle of like a commons area during lunch Mm. taunted the student, held it up in the air. You're already over six foot. Now you're holding this man up in the air. What, you think this is going to make him happy? You think this is going to, you know, it's like you're enticing him to, you're pushing his buttons intentionally. Intentionally. For what? To get a rise out of him. To force their power. Yeah, and I tried interjecting and he was like, stand back, Victoria, stand back. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like, just let me talk to him. Leave him alone, you know? And it was like, no. Nope. Nope. Where do you think he was the next week? In school suspension. I th- I'm not a big fan of social media and filming everything. Yeah. Because I'm an old person. <laughs> it drives me crazy. But I honestly feel in the past few years, two years, when I really paid attention to it, it has helped so much mm-hmm. because it has shined a light on just how sad it is. Yeah. And how some people have been working way too long in their profession. Yeah. And it has shifted their view. I I was watching an old TV show, Highway to Heven. Oh, I, I, I watched rerun, reruns um, over in March. And it was an episode where this one cop had been on the force at least 30, 40, 30 years. And his partner was telling him, you've changed. Your language has changed. Your viewpoint has changed. You're so hardened yeah. that everything he was, he saw no good in anyone. Anyone mm. young or of color? No. If 
they happen to live in this apartment complex, they're all bad. When oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, you know, that's not true. You know, some and I just think some people have just either been in their position way too long. Right. They've seen too much. And I understand that because their job is difficult mm-hmm. or whatever has gone on in their life. They're not able yeah. to separate it. Yeah. And I really feel sometimes people who need to show that much power, mm-hmm. they're they're not powerful in other areas of their life and they're yeah. going to use this is my moment. Yeah. This is what I can control. I got a gun. I got this. And we're so wrong and strong. You can't yeah. we can't apologize. Yeah. We can't be man I made a mistake. Yeah. We're wrong and strong. Right. And I think that's where a lot of this has happened. You can't be that way. Every kid is not mm-hmm. out to get you. Every kid's not bad. How are you putting your mouth upon them saying they're going to be nothing? Right. And sometimes if that's what they're hearing from you and they get home maybe hearing the same thing you have just crushed yeah someone absolutely so how do we fix it how yeah. do we change it well i mean i think a lot of it has to come from you know like i said earlier we have elected officials that granted whoever they may be elected by who actually voted to put them where they voted you know there's always that agenda but mm-hmm. you're in a position during a time where you need to speak for those that need to be spoken for the most you know whether it's going to get you reelected or not should be a mute point right now because right. we're humans and when people and leaders who are in these positions take stances it garners the attention of others who may not otherwise pay attention you know and i think so many people and this is often where i'm where i you know i've I've been asked you know a different like political things i'm like i can never be a politician (laughs) um if people for one second could just stop to think either what's in this for me Mm -hmm. or how will this impact my pocketbook and actually just think about human beings and these people are leaders that could make such the biggest shift yeah I mean, especially in this community, you know, a community of people who, you know, are on other boards or involved in the community for the right reasons. And they have to plead with city managers or mayors or people in elected positions to please put a statement out there that Baytown will not tolerate this racist behaviors. Why won't you say that? What could it harm? How is it you have so many organizations, so many companies taking a stance on where they are admitting, you know, maybe. Maybe I or this organization hasn't done enough, but we want to do better. We want to learn better. We're going to put a plan together. We're going to do this. Where's it at, Baytown? Maybe it starts with you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's going to have to come. From, it's, it's, it's going to have to come from someone else. It's not going to come from. I think there's fear in, in speaking out when in people in certain positions, unfortunately. Yeah, but it's, then it's again, it's like, but what do you fear? The backlash. You know, and it's like. To me, I always find it if if this was your son or daughter and this is what happened to them, would you or would you not take a stance and make a press release? Would you or would you not take a stance and write a letter to the judge? Would you not take a stance to help make change if it was your son or daughter? Because they're somebody's son and that's somebody's daughter. And if you're a leader of this community, then we're all your sons and daughters. You took that position when you decided to run for that position. Whatever that district is, you city council member, whatever that district is as board member, why did you choose to run for it? What's your purpose? Thank you so much for listening to Baytown Engage. Be sure to subscribe to our show on Podbean, Apple, and Spotify. Stay tuned.